Welcome, everyone. This is the Bread of Life, and I'm Joel Van Hoogen. I'm the director of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. We've got full-time missionaries stationed in North America, South America, Europe, and Asia, and we have ministry representatives carrying forward our commitment to equip and engage the body of Christ in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting in a number of countries around the globe. To learn more about our work and to inquire how you can help us raise up disciple-making disciples, go to traincpe.org. I'm also the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Our great pursuit in God's Word is always to find the road that leads to Jesus Christ, to exalt His gospel and to find in Him our complete sufficiency. You can learn more about our fellowship by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we go back over 20 years into our archives and continue a study into the life of the 12 apostles. I trust that it will be a great blessing to you as you listen. Today we begin a look into the life of Matthew, the apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the 12 foundation stones of the church, the author of the gospel written by the same name, and one frequently identified as Matthew the tax collector. This last title says more than you might think. It identifies Matthew's former life as one that descended into the lowest expressions of depravity. And this in itself is a testament to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and a testament to that grace that takes the lowest sinner and lifts them to heights of goodness and glory. Today we consider the depths of Matthew's former life. We are going to begin today considering the life of Matthew, and we'll look at Matthew's life today. Actually, we're going to look at Jesus and his relation to Matthew's life today. We'll take some time to study more carefully the life of Matthew and his response to his teaching. Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus passed forth from there, he saw a man, and actually it could be read this way, he saw the man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And other accounts you'll read in Mark and also in Luke say that he arose and left all that he had and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat eating in the house of Matthew, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that are well do not need a physician, but they that are sick. But go and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, in Jesus' day, the Jews hated tax collectors. They despised them. They equated them with the lowliest of sinners, and they did this for good reason. You see, the tax collectors were Jewish sellouts. They were collaborators with the Roman regime that ruled over Palestine. You see, the Roman peace, the Roman roads, the Roman garrisons, the Roman civil services, the Roman rule, the Pax Romana that was spread out throughout all the known world at the time, it took money. It came with an expensive price and that price was paid for by a rather stiff taxation. And the Romans, well, they contracted Jews to collect these taxes. 
And all the people of Israel hated those who ruled over them. They hated the Romans. And so they also hated those who helped facilitate that rule by raising taxes. Now, if you understand the tax code that took place in Rome, you'd understand that there were two basic kinds of taxes that take place. We say today that there are only two things that are certain, death and taxes, and that was maybe a phrase that was coined even during this time. But there were two kinds of taxes that were operative in the Roman system. The first tax was a statutory tax. It was a tax that was basically upon three different items, and this statutory tax had a pretty clear straightforward amount that was due from people. You see there was a statutory tax on the land and so all the grain that a man would harvest from his land, 10% of it had to be paid in taxes. And all of the fruit that he took, all the oil, all of the fruit, and all of the wine, well, that would be 5%. 5% that he collected had to be given to taxes and well, that's pretty clear cut. And then there was also a statutory tax on a man's income. 1% of whatever a man earned had to be given to the Roman government. And again, that was Fairly easy to figure out how much that was and to pay it. It was pretty clear cut. And then there was also a poll tax. And basically, once a year, any adult had to pay the amount of one day's worth of wages to pay for his own head. He had to pay a tax on his own existence, on who he was. And so once a year, he gave one day's of wages to exist. They didn't give him the right to vote or anything like that, but it was just a tax that was on his existence. And so these are the statutory taxes and they're pretty easy to figure out. And you know, when people had to pay those things, they grumbled and they complained and they didn't like it. But there were also other taxes. There were customs taxes. And these were the taxes in particular publicans. So that's the name for tax collector in the King James. And a publican just means like a civil servant. These were the taxes that the Roman government hired out different Jews to collect the custom taxes. And the custom taxes were different. They were on all kinds of different items and all kinds of different things. And the amount varied from one place to the next place in terms of what was due so that nobody really knew what the right customs tax was other than the customs tax collector, you see. And so there were taxes on roads and there were taxes on wagons that were traveling on the roads and there were taxes on boats that were sailing into port and there were taxes on the anchors that they cast out to dock themselves at port there were taxes on bridges and there were import taxes and there were export taxes and if a person had a marketplace where he set up a little booth there were taxes on his booth and on the land that he put his marketplace on and then there were taxes on the licenses that they needed to conduct their affairs whatever job you had there might be a tax on that job so that he could receive a certificate or a license to be a carpenter or a salesman or a fisherman. And then there were taxes on bringing your product to market. And there were taxes on selling your product at market. And there were taxes on a man's cart. And there could be taxes on the axle he had on his cart. And there could be taxes on the wheels that he had on his cart. And there could be taxes on the beast that pulled his cart. There were taxes on walled cities. If you came into a city that had walls around it, you had to pay a tax to enter into that city. And so there were all these different taxes and the prices and the amount of money these customs shifted from place to place. And the custom officers collected all this. They were ubiquitous. They were everywhere collecting these customs, these taxes. And because no one knew how much they really owed, this played into the tax collector's hand, you see because he could ask anything he wanted. 
And there are accounts made of men who actually would tax men their donkey and take the donkey from them and give them their poor donkey in its place. And that was the tax that they would put against them. And so the tax collectors were individuals who lived quite well. They sold out the nation of Israel in a sense, but they sold at a high price. And they were men of good means and people hated them for what they had done and they hated them for what they had because everything they had had come to them through the way they had been unjustly taxed. Now, this hatred for tax collectors wasn't just an occupational prejudice. You know, we have occupational prejudices today. We have a prejudice against politicians. We've all heard the jokes. We have a prejudice against trial attorneys. But this is not simply occupational prejudice that manifests itself. When you read in the New Testament about the way people hated the tax collectors and how they spoke of them and what they thought of them, this was just not occupational prejudice. No, the tax collectors had a reputation that was well-deserved. They were, by the very nature of their jobs, regularly breaking at least three of the commandments. They regularly coveted what other people had. They regularly lied about what other people owed, and as a result, they were regularly stealing from people to line their own pockets. And they were taking off of the top of the customs pile, and they were taking off of the bottom of the customs pile to get rich. And they were gaining the riches unjustly. And so, tax collectors were regarded as Roman-supported criminals, untouchables, who could just rob you blind. And as a result, they were restricted because of this sin in their lives. They were restricted from worshiping in the temple. You read the story that Jesus tells. He tells the parable of the publican or the tax collector who prays on the temple mount and of the Pharisee. And it says the Pharisee stood before God and said, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like everyone else, and I'm not like this tax collector and these sinners because I pay my tithe. And, I... and he began to extol himself before God. And then we read that the tax collector stood afar off and smote his chest. But there's a reason why he stood afar off. He wasn't allowed to come close to the temple to worship because he was a tax collector, you see. We read the account of John the Baptist in John chapter 3, verse 13, where tax collectors came to John the Baptist to be baptized, and they asked John the Baptist, now how shall we live? What should we do with our lives? And you know what John the Baptist said? He got right down to the nitty-gritty with him. He said, listen, do not collect more than you require. Don't take from people more than the required tax. Why did he say that? Because John the Baptist knew that tax collectors constantly robbed people. That was a part of their occupation. That's what attracted them to the job. There's no reason that they'd sell out Israel for a menial task working for the Romans other than the fact that they found in it a way to get rich. And John the Baptist knew it. And so he said, just don't collect more than you're required to collect. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus classifies tax collectors with heathens or pagans. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 31 through 32, Jesus lists tax collectors and he equates them in the same category as prostitutes. When you read the passage we've read, the Pharisees, they equate them with sinners. And it's not an unfortunate equation. This is not simply occupational prejudice. No, this is an accurate equation of what a tax collector was like. Now, why do we say that? Because Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a sinner. Matthew systematically and regularly, in order to feed his own desires, broke the law of God. Matthew daily coveted what other men had. Matthew daily lied about what other men owed. Matthew daily stole from other men. He was an outcast. He was a sinner. And he found his company in the presence of other tax collectors 
and those who fit in with them, prostitutes, murderers, riffraff, societal lowlifes. This is who Matthew was. And when men would pass by the Sea of Galilee and the town of Capernaum and pass by Matthew's booth that would have been up along the shoreline in order that he could tax the boats that were there along the sea, when they saw Matthew and they looked at him, they would have said as they saw him, there is a tax collector. And in saying it, they would say it like you would say, there is a prostitute or there is a pornographer or there is a thief. And they would have been accurate. And that's what they would have seen. And that's what they reported having seen. And yet what men see and what God sees are usually not the same thing. And that's where our story begins. When people would see Matthew at his booth, they would have thought, there's the sinner, the tax collector, the traitor, Matthew. But we're told when Jesus looked upon him, he saw, quote, a man named Matthew. It's a subtle statement, but it says a lot. You see, God sees what others don't. We see the outward behavior and action, but God sees the core, the inner person, the potential. He sees us, male or female, as human beings on an equal scale. And he sees what and how he may reclaim us from the depths of where we have fallen. Just as we'll see in our next broadcast, when we follow up on the life of Matthew. I want to thank you for joining us at The Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership evangelism and The Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. And I extend you a warm invite to come and participate with us in our worship. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise, and our worship begins every Sunday at 11 a.m. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.